Hey friends, this is Shadima, also known as the Type A Hippie, and this is the Type A Hippie podcast, Cheekast episode 75. And I'm on with a new friend, Jason Mitchell. We became familiar with one another through our mutual friend, Celia. And I had posted an impassioned post about leaving the church for me making that decision and Celia tagged you in the post and thought that it would be beneficial for us to connect. And, and so that's kind of how we came to this moment right now. So Jason, welcome to the podcast. I'm glad that you're here. Oh, it's so good to be here. It's a great opportunity to, uh, to connect with you and your community that you've been developing here with all of these episodes that you've been compiling. Thank you. So Jason, tell us a little bit about yourself briefly <laughs> before we kind of get into talking about all the things. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit about me before we talk about everything. Let's see. Uh, I think the biggest thing that I can start with for me is that I am a person who has always had some relationship to spirituality. Sure. I was born into a traditional Christian family. I was raised in the apostolic faith as a child, but when my parents divorced, I went primarily eventually to live with my father who was not openly spiritual. Um, he wasn't a person who regularly went to church but that was a very firm part of my mother's side of the family. My grandfather was a bishop in the apostolic church. I have two uncles who have pastored churches and continue to pastor churches. Um, they've moved from the apostolic church to a more trans-denominational Christian uh, viewpoint. And over the course of my life, I have generally been very spiritual, um, even to the point where when I went to college at Florida a University and became a member of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated and everything that we were doing, somehow I was the one organizing us to go to church on Sundays when the <laughs> chapter was, was doing that. And it, what's funny about that is even in college, I didn't have a primary spiritual home. So it just was something that always called me or something that people saw in me, sometimes even when I didn't see it in myself. And over the course of time, through reading and growth and expansion, my relationship with spirit, with God, began to change. One of the major catalysts at the time was the marriage that I was in was unhappy. It was unhealthy. I just wasn't enjoying it and I felt at the time that I had done everything right. I wasn't perfect by any means, but I had taken the idea of not having sex before marriage very seriously and found somebody who at the time I felt connected with and wanted to build a life with and through marriage and getting to know each other as we were in the marriage, we had a level of dysfunction that just wasn't serving me, wasn't healthy, and it was changing who I was. And so when that marriage dissolved, it began to break up the connection and the absolute assurity 
that I felt when I looked at my relationship to the Christian community through the Christian church and to Christ through that specific lens. Sure. Over time, I took a break from spirituality and at some point, probably less than a year later after my wife and I at the time separated, I was introduced to another spiritual community called Agape International Spiritual Center where our founder and spiritual director is Reverend Dr. Michael Bernard Beckwith. The funniest part of that story is that a very good friend of mine had invited me to this community several years before, before I was married, before anything else. And the path and the way that I walked my Christianity would not allow me to be open to anything that wasn't purely, clearly Christian. And so not only did I reject that idea of just the invitation, I then was at a point of blindedness that I also began to reject my friend. And that kind of like, um, not completely severed, but it began to eat away at a relationship. And then one day, as I said, I was invited to Agape. I got to Agape and I've been there ever since, going on 13 years. Uh, started going a little bit at first. And even when the, the dating aspect with the woman who brought me to Agape ended, I kept attending uh, on and off at first and then on again. And then probably after being there for about two years, made a deep commitment to attending on a regular basis and allowing to, it to be the place for me to grow spiritually. During that same time period, my brother, who um, has been one of the biggest influences of my life in terms of exploring things, my brother Kanata had created a book list of about 15 to 20 different books that covered everything from spirituality, health and nutrition, the history of the African American in America, and covering all sorts of things. And the reading from reading of those materials began to open up what I call the fallow ground within my consciousness to be able to receive what I would be able to uh, take in once I did get to agape. So for me, agape became a place of transformation, of healing, of liberation, of opening up to something that is that fit a little more with both what my rational mind could process and also the aspects of what is beyond even my mind that allows the imagination to see something even more than what is known. So Agape in and of itself is a trans-denominational spiritual center. It is a place where you see and recognize people in that community who are Buddhist, who are Muslims, who are Christians, people who self-identify as a particular sect or religion, but at the same time, agape crosses all religious boundaries because our teachings are based in spiritual principles and spiritual laws. And those spiritual principles and spiritual laws can be seen in every teaching, in every sacred text. And it goes all the way back even to indigenous cultures who at the dawn of human existence were becoming conscious that there was something greater than themselves. And it wasn't just that there was a planet greater than themselves. It wasn't simply that there were uh, suns and nature that was impacting their lives, but that there was an order to the universe. And as they became more in alignment with the order of the universe, 
it also impacted their lives. So that brings me to my journey at Agape, where I would uh, begin taking classes at what is Agape University of Transformational Studies and Leadership. I became an Agape licensed spiritual practitioner uh, in 2012. And for the past five years, I've been working with clients through spiritual counseling, facilitating and teaching meditation, life visioning, and other workshops that I've designed where I'll do a prayer challenge with groups of people. I have a program that I've done called Freedom Through a Structured Life. I have a program that I'm getting ready to start um, in the next couple of weeks called the MVP, Meditation, Visioning, and Prayer, Our Most Valuable Practices, as well as a year ago, I joined the staff at Agape, and I'm now the manager of the Practitioner Corps, along with Reverend Kathleen McNamara, and I'm also the manager of our prayer ministry, which is a 24-hour international prayer ministry where people from all over the world call Agape to be supported in prayer, and our Agape licensed spiritual practitioners support them in that way and in many other ways. Sure. And then the other thing that I started doing uh, back, I guess this is more than a few things I've shared, but the last thing that I do on a consistent basis is Monday through Friday at 6.30 a.m., I stream on Facebook or uh, over a conference call line, what I call our daily prayer call, which Spirit just inspired me to do. And we've been doing that as of October 2017 for five years now. That's a little bit about me. Awesome. So what led to the Our Daily Prayer Call? Um, Coming out of practitioner studies is an interesting thing. I, I have a feeling anybody who goes through any sort of professional program, that once the program is finished, whether you're getting your doctorate, whether you're getting your master's, whether you're getting an MD, there is that space of what am I to do with this now that I have completed the study aspect of it. In some respects, it's easy. Um, you get a job or you begin serving your clients in your community. But one thing that I was really clear about is I wanted to create, I, want, I, w I wanted to listen to what spirit was trying to create through me. And this idea started to come to me in September of 2012, about a year after our initiation and graduation ceremonies. And I wasn't sure what, what it would look like, but I wondered what it would, be, would look like for people to gather together in prayer every day and to know that they're being supported on a consistent, regular basis with prayer. As a practitioner, our first call beyond con continuing a practice, the presence of God, is to be the praying arm of our spiritual community, where we're praying for our community, our world, and any person who is coming to us at, with a desire to be supported in prayer. And so I thought about what technology we had available at the time, and this was before uh, uh, Instagram was doing live video, before Facebook was doing live video, and we had these free conference call numbers that suddenly were being sent out through websites. And so for the first two, probably for the first three plus years, this call has been completely facilitated over a conference call number. So people dial into the conference call number each day. We start with an inspirational reading. 
I may or may not have a little something to say about the reading. Mm -hmm. And then we anchor in to the field of prayer. And we're always praying for our world. We're always praying for our own lives, our loved ones, our family members. And of course, any of the events that are going on in our world, we bring into prayer. And then people send emails to me on a regular basis if they have anything that they'd like to be have held in prayer. There's a Facebook group that's simply Our Daily Prayer Call on Facebook, where it has grown to the point where now people, whenever they have prayer requests, they don't simply call, send me a message. They'll drop a message at two o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the afternoon in the Facebook group. And the other members of the Our Daily Prayer Call Facebook group will stand in agreement with them for the challenges or the healing or whatever's going on in their condition that they'd like support in. And so it's really been magnificent. And I'm, I'm sort of surprised that even as a, we, we recently did an anniversary celebration for it, how many people really believe that it's a part of how they start their day. Sure. So because it's recorded, we don't, um, people might catch it at 7 a.m. or 7 p.m. And because we email out the recording, some people listen to it at night before they go to bed. Some people start their day with it. Some people start today with yesterday's because they wake up before we do today's call. So they start with what the vibration and the frequency of prayer that we started and activated the day before. So it's become such a ritual and a, and a loving space for people. And uh, sometimes they'll send it to their relatives or I have people who have called into the prayer from the hospital room of their loved ones when they're going into the hospital that day. So we make sure we bring them into the prayer field. It's just really a, a wonderful and powerful space that um, Spirit just let me know it was, it was time for. That's awesome. What did the prayers look like after the Las Vegas massacre? You know, it was, it was interesting for me because as a practitioner, one of the things that I'm really clear about is that my calling is to hold the highest idea for all situations and circumstances. And so in many ways, that comes contrary to what the natural human instinct is in the midst of something. To panic, to worry, to get angry, all very natural human emotions that are important to experience, important to have. And for us, as a practitioner, for me, in reaction to it, I was clear that I was holding the space for everyone and everything that was being impacted. So whether it was the people who were actually injured, whether it was the people who were transitioning and had transitioned already and were killed on the scene in the physical realm and they were making their journey to the other side, whether it was the loved ones that were um, anxious and they had no idea where their loved ones were, we were holding the field for every single person, the, the law enforcement people, the medical sure. personnel, the first, first responders that were present, the people in other hotels and who were in Vegas just passing by that weren't sure. hired upon. We were holding an awareness of those people who were um, watching it on the news and their visceral reaction to the prayer call was there. On average, when I do the prayer call, including the people who are on the uh, conference call number, 
and the people who are on the uh, Facebook Live aspect of it, anywhere between 40 and 50 people at the same time. And that day, not only were there more people, I can't remember exactly how many more, but because it's on Facebook Live, you can see how many additional views we got. And it was one of those, op one of those days where three or 400 times the, the prayer was viewed for that day. And it's just a reminder of how important this field is for people because no matter what your faith, no matter whether you're agnostic or atheist, at some point we all experience an interaction of a moment that is beyond the known, where there is something that we know, we know up to this line, we, we know up to this piece of information. Sure. And on the other side of that, we all desire some sort of assurance that things are going to be okay, that there is going to be more, that there is more than this, that the things that we are experiencing in this now moment is not the end, is not the abruptness, is not the, the best of it or the worst of it, or it's not going to continue. And when we entered into that field, it was really clear that we were holding this space of love, of peace, an order that we see in, in existence in a universe. And we don't always like how that unfolds. It may not be the way that we would prefer it to, but we hold a recognition of it and that there is something more at hand. And we avail ourselves to that and hold that space. And when we do it together, it expands exponentially. And I'm absolutely sure that it impacts our world and it impacts us first because we're holding it or even just when we're seeking to hold it, we're seeking to hold something more and that makes a powerful impact. That's true. So what was the prayer like after, so October, November of last year was mm -hmm. when we all were experiencing Maybe I shouldn't say all of us because I don't think it was harmful to everyone. I mean, I do believe it was harmful to all. Let me be honest um, because that's authentic um, because I think that there was a lot of psychological assault happening to humans. Um, everyone doesn't think that was bad though. So I'll put it that that's the caveat, right? right? So mm -hmm. what was the community expressing or what were the needs of the community for our daily prayer call leading up to election um the the presidential election in 2016 and beyond once we knew that there was a changing of the guard so to speak with a new administration coming yeah absolutely so our daily prayer call, of course, was born under the umbrella of the Obama administration and, and the impact of what it meant to have the first black president of the United States. Sure. And so when ODBC was born, it was already born in a world that had a heightened expression of this, it appeared to be new, but it wasn't really new. Expression of the resentment of different cultures towards, for me, towards blackness, towards minorities, mm -hmm. towards ideas where different groups of people were feeling like they were losing their country, so to speak. Some of that very coded language, 
but we were in a world that was in transition and very few of us were able to perceive what that transition meant for me because I believe we thought that the election was an answer to something as if there was an answer uh, as if we had one of those old uh, tests where you were looking to fill in the blank and President Barack Obama's election was the answer to the blank of mm-hmm. what the world, what would change the world. Right. But I don't think that most of us really spend enough time thinking about what it means to make the type of change we're asking for. And in many ways, both Barack Obama and the election of Donald Trump are part of what it's going to take to change America from what it has been for a couple of hundred years. Now, if you had sat down and said that before the election to any person, no matter how optimistic they were, they were, if they were on either side of the political spectrum, no one's going to come out and say that they agree with that idea. They're not going to simply come out and say, if the election of President Barack Obama and the election of our next president, whether it's Hillary or uh, Donald, is going to take us where we need to go. You're not going to get a united agreement on that. Sure. So then when we get to election time, there is a presence and awareness for me that no matter what happens, it will be that which has a higher purpose. So whether it was the election of the first woman president or whether it was the election of our first reality TV president, whatever it was going to be, it was going to serve a purpose. Going into the prayer around it, we're also holding the idea of releasing and dissolving any limited idea and any limited fear-based concepts that are blocking our ability to perceive God, to Mm -hmm. perceive God in this situation, to perceive God as our own life, anything that causes us to suddenly identify more primarily with despair, with despondency, with resentment, with anger, with fear. It is very healthy to feel all of those things. It is another thing to project them as an absolute idea of our future. It is another thing to project them as an absolute idea of myself. So a lot of times what happens when we're having these extreme emotions, particularly the ones we don't prefer, we self-identify as them. And not only does that affect our thinking, it affects our biochemistry. It affects our physiology. So we have to hold that in prayer. And the prayers, and I can't, of course, remember exactly the prayer of a year ago, though I could go and record to the recording and play it. Thankfully, I am really clear that there was a knowing that there was something more beyond what we understood at the moment. And that just because this man was elected doesn't mean that suddenly my life, all the potential of my life, all the possibilities for my life, for the earth, knowing that they wanted to change things for humanity was suddenly taken away. And what I'm most excited about, if one can be excited on the other side of the election of President Donald Trump, is what the response of the American people has been. Because whether we like it or not, 
there's something about the human condition, and I don't have a word for it, but somebody smarter than me probably has a word for it, that causes us to have to go through some of the most difficult things before we can get to the light, that we have to go through, got to hit the bottom so we can bounce up to the highest height. And of course, that's not necessary, but it is par for the course when we look at how we function as human beings. And so I look at now, I see in a more engaged human humanity, I see a more engaged humanity, even on both sides. But I'm really clear that the progressives and those that identify as progressive, those that identify in such a way that they weren't happy with the outcome of the election, are very different people because of that election than they would have been had the other candidate, Hillary Clinton, been elected. Mm -hmm. And so holding a space for that and knowing that something has been activated actually excites me in a way that I have to remember. I may not always remember it, but I look at not just the Women's March, because that was amazing, but I'm also looking at all of the people and all of the conversations that are being had that a year ago we were not having. I look at hundreds of years of oppression of people of color, and I'm looking at we have somebody that's in, elected in office in the so-called most powerful position in the world that is actually forcing a conversation about race, oppression, poverty, whether he realizes it or not. The discussion is being had with people who support him and they're being forced to talk about issues that they don't wanna talk about. And so as a person of prayer, I can hold a space that allows for me to be able to see God in all of it. And I may not be able to articulate the why, I may not be able to articulate the how, but I recognize that there is quite a bit, there are innumerable examples of the most amazing things coming out of the most dreadful pain and the most difficult situations that then become the seed that lays out a, an entire garden, an entire grove, an entire orchard that we might not have been able to experience if not for those very difficult situations. And so the prayer community came together on a regular basis. I know I kind of joke that, uh, or I have people that'll joke with me every now and then that sometimes I'm a little more or a little less Baptist or fiery sometimes when I'm praying. I know that day was fiery <laughs> because I knew, I, I, can, I, I do know really clearly that I wasn't going to allow a single part of me to come out of that prayer, holding on to the limited ideas, any sort of anger, frustration, fear, worry, doubt that I might have experienced. I was going to get myself through the prayer and then carry our, the Our Daily Prayer Call community through that prayer to a space that they were not able to find on their own. And it continues to be a space where we can do that even when we're not you know, dealing with the news. Um, right. As we're recording this today, we're in the shadow of raging fires up and down the state of California, right. the, the impact of the earthquake in Mexico City that nobody's talking about except Nobody for probably the people in Mexico City right. because they're still picking, they're still on, you know, probably still digging people out of, the, of these buildings. Yeah. 
you know, the hurricane that impacted Haiti, Puerto yeah. Rico, Dominica, Barba Barbados. Yeah. Um, there's there's just so much going on, and Costa then there's Rica. still stuff going on. Yep, there's still stuff going on in Sierra Leone. There's still stuff going on now with you know our governments with North Korea. So there is a consistent call for people right now, and it'll be very interesting to see what's going on in our world when this airs, because the ability to do prayer work is as important as your physical fitness, your nutrition, your exercise of your mind, your exercise of your creative capacity. Because for us, when we talk about prayer, we're talking about changing ourselves, not God. We're not trying to change something that has always been and will always be, which is the same yesterday, today, and forever, which has a consistency that allows the universe to function and flow in, which, in the way it does, sure. because it's a reflection of this present. We are holding for a greater realization of those divine qualities as our lives. And so when we have experiences, whether in the body or in the mind or in our experiences that don't align with that, okay, well, I'm going to bring it into prayer so that then I can get the mind and the will and the willingness to do what it takes to change our world. Yeah. So to organize, to do 70 episodes of a podcast, to do <laughs> different things that we could not have imagined. Sure. And we stand in awe of it because then we have become the vessel for something more yeah. powerful than even we could imagine to utilize us. And sometimes it takes Donald Trump for us to have one. That's right. Yeah, no, it's... I started a hashtag. Um, I don't know if it was in November or if it was January 21st, 2017. So I'm not sure if it was November 2016 or when, but it's hope rising because I really did feel hope rising as a result of what I think is a tragedy. The, um, that Donald Trump won the White House or won the, well, <laughs> I guess he did win the White House. I usually say the one who inhibits the White House because for me, I don't see a president. Um, and that's, that's my opinion. And there are many people who do not agree and there are plenty that do. And I'm okay with that. That's authentic for me. Um, that said, what I really enjoyed or or appreciated, and it's not a new phenomenon, it's not a new thought, is that when I pray, specifically if I'm praying for someone else, someone that maybe I call them human sandpaper, someone that frustrates me, um, I often do a forgiveness meditation, and I do, um, I do pray for the one that inhabits the White House, because I hope and I believe that the divine is able to redeem all. I believe in redemption. I believe that there are people that at one point, I mean, someone was, a friend approached me and I didn't appreciate or care for the way that I was approached um, on this topic was about Dr. Seuss. And was he racist? And if he was racist, why was my forever first lady, Michelle Obama, reading his books? And my thoughts are this, people can be racist and can change. I do believe that. 
my thoughts are also it's important to read things that are distasteful so that we can have a conversation or have dialogue and learn from it so that someone can say oh mm -hmm. yeah i can see where you're where you um where that would be difficult to read or difficult to hear um because it's all about i get to be a vessel what happened in las vegas touched me but it didn't touch me in the way that it touched people who were actually there at the festival you know our first mm -hmm. responders god bless them our you know hospital personnel secondary responders the people that actually lost loved ones the people that were there i mean all of this is trauma and so the divine inspired me to create this healing for las vegas event that i didn't know where it was going to go I would love to have more people participate, meaning more people get some healing from the people who are giving of themselves by leading meditations, yoga classes, Tai Chi, you know, singing bowl meditations, all of that stuff. But that is not up to me. It is, I don't get to, I get to do the footwork and leave the results up to the divine. It is not for me to pat mm -hmm. myself on the back and say, oh, Chidima, you're so awesome. That is not the point of this. The point is, I'm a vessel, I get to be used, here it is, okay, hands off, you know? And so as I've been coordinating with people, people are like, oh my God, Shadima, I'm so sorry, I thought it was this time, or can we do this time? I'm saying, what works best for you? Because you are being of service. So what date and time works for mm -hmm. you, we will make it work, right? Because it's not about right. me. Yep. It's not even about them, even though I am honoring them because they're choosing to participate and mm -hmm. share a gift uh, with others mm -hmm. for the purposes of healing and for community. So I recently became familiar with, uh, and then we'll sadly have to wrap up, um, a Hawaiian healing practice. And it means, so I think it's Opa Ho'apana. Pana, that's it. Go upon a pana to make things right. And so you start by saying, I'm sorry, I love you, please forgive me, I thank you. And you keep repeating that. And I had that experience when I was in Dallas not too long ago, and it was so beautiful and so healing and so humbling to say, I'm sorry, I love you, please forgive me, I thank you, even if you're saying that to yourself. You know, because I think sometimes yeah. we are hanging on to the garbage, right? And I don't mean it in a negative way. I mean it as in if your car is filled with crap, let's say, and you pump the brakes really quickly, all of it shoots forward, you know? And I don't believe that we're all meant to deal with everything all at once. Yet, we like to hang on. So it's like carrying a, a, a backpack. My favorite backpack is... Uh, the Eden backpack from Seiko Designs. And it's like, if I loaded that up, instead of with my wallet and some moon clutches and my essential oils and, you know, a book or a notebook, my bullet journal, my passion planner and ink pens, I loaded up with rocks. And I just keep these rocks in there. So it's like, I'm just going to continue to carry my stuff with me. <laughs> I'm not going to work on mm -hmm. it per se. I'm just going to hang on to it because it's what oh, I'm yeah with right and so I'm sorry I love you please forgive me I thank you it allows me to release some of that stuff and I think that prayer facilitates the same healing if we're open to it it allows me to leave 
the stuff that's no longer serving me. And when I pray for people who are my human sandpaper, I don't know truly if they've changed. I know my opinion of them, my perspective on them has changed. And that sometimes mm-hmm. is all that's needed because people may or may not change. The one in the White House may or may not change. We may have to, even though it seems like it's been 11 years and it's only been, I don't know, nine months maybe, um, it may, that may continue for three more years. And I personally have to be okay to lay my head down at night, right? And be at peace regardless of what's happening and put, withdraw yes. when I need to, right? As an act of love, self-love and self-care. And then put on my boots um, when I need to go into the trenches, you know, and roll up my sleeves. So speaking of that, as a last thought, uh, Jason, what do you do to self-care? Uh, so for me, the, the biggest things that come up are, are the very basics. Mm-hmm. Prayer has got to be a consistent part of my life. I do it a lot. I do it for other people. But even as you talked about forgiveness, one of the teachings that we hold is that all forgiveness is self-forgiveness. That you have to start with yourself because there's always some part of us that will come around and try to make us the villain mm-hmm. for the situations and the experiences that we've had. And so my prayer work is always first and foremost for me, for my relationship with the divine, for the choices and the decisions that I'm making in my life, for where I'm going, and then I'm holding a field for other people. Beyond that, the next thing that I do is I'm a part of a community. My father transitioned three years ago And at his memorial service, one of the big things that I realized that he taught me was how to build community. It is really important for everybody to be plugged into a community. Too many of us are shouting into our own little cones and shells. Too many of us are isolating ourselves. Too many of us don't engage with other people with the brilliance and the great ideas that we have or share the resources that we have. Too many of us are hoarders with our ideas with our brilliance, with our beauty, with our love, with our joy. So many of us keep it all to ourselves and we need to be engaged in the community. So whether that looks like being involved with the school that your children go to, whether it looks like being involved with the local community center, I definitely advocate being involved in your spiritual community because if you don't have a spiritual community, you can build your own and find people and create a small circle of people. I have people that I know that are involved in goddess circles, that are involved in different groups where men and women come together on their own and they all go to different churches or some don't go to churches, but they have a small group of people or a large group of people that they can come into and that they can lean into when their siblings make their transition, when their parents make their transition, when they're not doing as well financially, they have resources and people they can tap into. That only happens in community and the world is made up of small communities. And so no matter how big the White House may seem and how much power it seems to have, we can remember that Barack Obama struggled with wielding that power Mm -hmm. and we can create the same sort of atmosphere for someone who doesn't share the views of a world that we do and have that same challenge. But we do that in community. In addition to that, the third one is service. 
-hmm. as the director of the Sacred Service Ministry at Agape, as a person that was involved in service as a member of an undergraduate fraternity, as a person who has always been at some point involved in the community, whether it was my job or not, it is important that we all give of ourselves to our human counterparts on the planet, our brothers and sisters on this journey. We cannot make it in this world if we do not lift those who are in need, if we do not serve, if we do not give, whether it is through resources, whether it is through time, whether it is financial, in particular, more than anything, what the world needs is for us to give through service and our love. Because the most difficult thing is to recognize that the anger and the rage and the vitriol that many people are experiencing is a pure call for love. A book um, that you know often talks about this is A Course in Miracles. Mm -hmm. And they're always talking about it being, you know, the anger and the rage and, and the pain that the world is expressing is really a call for love. And if anything else, I invite us all to be in service that way. And I don't just mean, you know, some nebulous idea of I love you, but the expression of the manifested release of love through care, through compassion, through engaging each other. I love that. So thank you so much, Jason, for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. It's my it. pleasure, Chidima. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. So here is a really, actually, a really lovely um, story from Humans of New York that ties in with what you just shared with us, Jason. And so this is part of the, the Inmate Stories series for Humans of New York. Um, I don't know how he stays so positive because I'm getting out of here in 40 months. He's doing life. So this was... A story shared February 20, 2016 at the Federal Correctional Complex in Allenwood, Pennsylvania. He's a beautiful person. He always tells me, we've got to find a way to win by losing. In the eyes of society, we've lost already. Everyone in here is a loser. We can either be angry about it or we can keep trying to grow. He's always correcting my Spanish and giving me quizzes. He used to be an engineer, so he's been tutoring me in trigonometry. He's been a blessing to me. He's helped me, not, helped me to not be so angry. He's always so happy and optimistic. And I don't know how he stays so positive because I'm getting out of here in 40 months. He's doing life. So that puts things mm. in perspective, right? All right, friends. Absolutely. There are... Go ahead. Oh, so thank you all so much for sharing your love and light with me, always being so welcoming and excited about new guests and for subscribing, for downloading the podcast episodes, for sharing them, rate and review, email me to let me know how I can serve you better. I honor the place within you where the entire universe resides. I honor the place within you of love, of light, of truth, of peace. I honor the place within you where when you are in that place in you and I'm in that place in me, there is only one of us. So thank you all so much. Have a gratitude filled day. My name is Chidima, also known as the type A hippie. 
and this is the Type A Hippie Podcast, Cheekast episode 75. Thanks so much. Have a great one. Do something amazing. Namaste.